ministered to my heart. I was thinking while they were singing, uh, most every song had directly references to the cross. And what didn't was indirectly references to the cross. And uh, I've been pondering that of late, uh, thinking about how the world looks at us as if we have a bloody religion. And we do. And we don't apologize for it. I'm going to tell you that one cross where he died and shed all his blood is the remedy for all the killing in your heart. Every heart that ever accepts his blood won't feel the need to hurt anybody else ever again. What a world we'd live in if the cross was given the preeminence that it deserves. To take care of all the bitterness and anger and malice. Give us peace and love and joy. It'd be the remedy, wouldn't it? It was for my heart, and I'm sure that it was for your heart. And I thank the Lord for it. I was thinking last night when I asked how many had um, made the promise, and I think it was only maybe two. I'll ask it again tonight. How many of you have made the promise? I'm talking about the age. Three score and ten, 70. Raise your hand. Three score and ten. Have you made that? Oh, we've got two. Miss Pat said Brother Dan has, but she didn't raise her hand. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So... Uh, <laughs> Well, I said, well, I won't say, but uh, I was, you know, pondering about that, how that here I am with only three other people that are as old as I am or older. But the thing I rejoice in is to see all these young folks coming on that God has saved and raised up, and uh, no doubt he's going to use and uh, what a blessing it is to be among these, these young folks. Uh, I asked Esther, I said, uh, now honey, since I have matured, uh, should I present myself to the congregations a little different? And she said, probably. She said, don't joke a lot and, and uh, don't try to be funny and, and don't act intelligent or smart. I said, well, what do you want me to do? She said, well, just be yourself. <laughs> so I guess that's where I am. I'm just going to try to be myself. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, and turn to Matthew chapter number 4. We'll read a few verses there, verse 1 down through verse number 10. I have noticed in the New Testament those places that Jesus went to that he visited while he was here on earth. Understand that he never took a step outside of the purpose and the will of God. Every one of his steps were designed. But also realize that all of those steps had you in mind and me in mind. A songwriter had it right when he said, living he loved me, dying he saved me. Yes, 
Rising, he justified freely forever. Every place that Jesus went to, he did something special. And you can find yourself there. Because every step was for you in mind, and every step was with me in mind. I thought about how that he was in a manger, there to be worshipped by us. How that he loved to visit the homes, and how that he wanted to be among us. I thought about how that he was in the Jordan, and there he was represented as one of us. I thought about how he was on the mountain of transfiguration. He reveals himself to us. Many other places, but the one that I want to focus on tonight is how that Jesus is in the wilderness. He is being tempted as us. The Hebrew writer said, yet, and I like that, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Aren't you glad that he was the perfect son of God, God manifested in the flesh? But I want to look at this experience in this wilderness. He's in the wilderness being tempted. And I want the Lord to be able to show us something in this temptation that he went through that can help us in our hour of temptation. Look in verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I don't know that I've ever been tempted of the devil. I don't think I demanded that much of attention. But he's got some imps, if you would call it that, some demons that have visited me a few times, and I'm sure you too. Verse 2, And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And amazing that God would get hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. Let's me know that Satan doesn't mind going to church because here he shows up at the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels come and minister unto him. 
Another portion of Scripture in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, gives us a little more insight about this wilderness temptation. It said, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was, in, he was there in the wilderness for forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. I'm interested in those wild beasts. But I want us to look for a few more at this wilderness temptation that Jesus went through. And I want us to glean and let us receive the truths that he would have us to know about our hours of temptation. The first thing that I would point out to you is the truth that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it seems to me that the situation was at its worst. I don't know that anything could have been any worse than what was happening where he was at. When I think about being in that wilderness, in that vast desert land, I've been privileged to be in Israel, go down by the Dead Sea, look to the right, and you can see that dry, barren land, no greenery to it at all, seems to be so void and so empty. That's where he's at. When I think about how long he was there, 40 days and 40 nights. And then when I think about what was there, the Scripture says that there were wild beasts there. The only sounds that he could hear was the sounds of the creatures of that land. And then it was so bad as to who was there. The only one of which he could communicate with in that place called a wilderness was the devil himself. Don't know about you, but I'd just soon be by myself. I don't talk to him. But here he shows up in this wilderness place. A dry and a dreary place. A distant and a dark place. A despondent and a depressing place. A dangerous and a deadly place. He's in the wilderness of temptation. That word wilderness contains within it the meaning of loneliness. And of course you can sense that. It is the word really orphaned or it has the feeling of a widow or some lady whose husband has left her to her own with her children standing without any kind of aid at all. Jesus is out in this wilderness place. Can I say to you that that's when the devil likes to get at you. When it seems as though that nobody understands you, no one can communicate to you, and whatever you're going through, you feel so isolated wherever you're at. And haven't you felt that at times? And and, it seemed as though that the devil was speaking so loud and he was speaking so clear. A place, a place where it seems as though that some things are so minimized and then other things are so magnified, and I'll emphasize that later. 
I say to you that Jesus was confronted in the hour of temptation when the situation was at its worst. The devil comes a-knocking when you're at your lowest. When things seem to be the darkest. When there seems to be no one to really communicate that can help you. He has no family there. He has no disciples there. He seemingly is standing all alone with the exception of Satan himself showing up. It's really bad. The hour of temptation for him is really bad. And let us consider that in our times of temptation, before we complain, let us consider where he was at and what he was going through during his hour of temptation. The situation was at its worst, so much that we can glean from his temptation. But the second thing I noticed in this text is that in the hour of Jesus' temptation, Satan seemed to be at his best. Believe me, when he comes to allure you, when he comes to trick you, when he comes to deceive you, he will come at his best. And my, hadn't he had a lot of experience at it. As a matter of fact, since the time of Adam, there has only been one who has made it through without being conquered by the devil. You say, well, you mean to tell me that everybody since Adam has fallen to his temptation? Well, the Bible said all have sinned. And when we all have to say that we are guilty in this area, and, and, and in times it seems as though that he has prevailed, Satan is at his best. The Bible uses these words. It says that he works he hinders, he oppresses, and he tempts. It talks about the snares of the devil. That means his traps. It speaks of the wiles of the devil. That means his tricks. And then it talks about the devices of the devil. That's referring to his tools. And understand, he's had plenty of practice. And he knows what it takes. Listen, he knows what it takes. When he comes in your direction, he has studied you very closely. And he's going to bring that which he thinks that you are weakest in in that area so that he might cause you to fall. And don't you understand and realize that when he came to the Son of God, he realized he is fixing to tempt one like he had never tempted before. And I believe that he brought all of his abilities to throw at Jesus, to bring him down. And he tried everything he could try, as we will notice. But the truth is, he brings what it takes to bring us down also. I remember back many years ago when my boys were at home, and the reason why you have boys is so you can tell them what to do that you don't want to do. Amen. And uh, isn't that right? right? And so, you know, I had learned in high school to call the mechanics. Then you could work on your own car because if you could change a carburetor or, or a distributor or some brake, you're in pretty good shape. You can't do that now. I mean, a lot of things you just, you can't, you just can't do it. 
But what I would do is I would go out and raise the hood of the car, and uh, I'd look in there, and then I'd say, go get me that 5-H wrench. And so they would go and retrieve the 5 inch, and they'd bring it there, and I'd say, well, no, it's a 916th. Go back and get the 916th. And they'd bring a 916th, so maybe that way. I'd say, well, it must be a 1132nd. Go back and get me a 1132nd. They'd go back and find that time after time after time, they said, I said, okay, let's go work on the car. They said, Dad, let's just take the whole toolbox. <laughs> and then we'll be able to reach and grab. Well, that's what the devil wants to do is bring his whole toolbox. But the thought that I had is that it took so much for him to try to tempt Jesus and it still not, didn't work. But I wonder how little it takes for him to get to us. I mean, I don't know that he's ever come our way. I don't, I don't know that we're a big enough threat to him, but he certainly sends seems, seems his de- demons and, and so on to, to come after us. And um, I think sometimes that he might say for an average pastor, and I say that because I pastored for 22 years, I'll tell you what we'll do, we'll, we'll have him Monday. And, uh, and, and the demon would say, well, what, what, do you want, what do you want me to take? Oh, you don't need nothing but a screwdriver, a pair of pliers. What do you mean? Well, just go in there and adjust the offering down and then wrench the attendance down. When he looks at that board, he'd be miserable on Monday. He won't be talking about Jesus. He'll be, he'll be feeling low. Taking so, or, or if he wants to get to you, Mama, what he'll do is he'll, he'll crank up that daughter's attitude so that when you walk in there, it's just going to throw you out of boundary. And, uh, and you're not going to be able to operate. What I'm saying is, I don't know what he might, but isn't it amazing that it takes so little to get to us and it took so much to get to Christ? Should it not be our desire to not be so open to the temptations and the botherings or the threats or the tricks or the traps or the tools of the devil? He brought everything when he comes toward Jesus. He's coming with what he thinks it'll take. Notice the three things that he used. The first thing he did when he said, take this stone and turn it into bread, he's trying to get Jesus to serve himself. Jesus comes with all the potentials and powers of the Father. He can calm a storm. He can walk on the water. He can break five loaves and feed the multitude. He has the power. He can actually raise the dead. But what I challenge you is, is to go through the life of Christ and find one place where Jesus used one iota of his power for himself. He said, I did not come to be ministered to, but to minister and give my life a ransom for many. So therefore, he refused to serve himself. Out there in the wilderness where no one else is but he and the devil. He is not willing to even break that bread and feed himself. Here's what I want to say to you. He came into this world for one reason. That was through the work of his father. And anything out of the boundaries of what the father's work was, he was not going to do. And one of the things he refused to do is to serve himself. And the devil will have a hard time getting at you 
if you refuse to placate and serve yourself. I thought about the prodigal son, how that he was of no value at home when he was there. He was of no value or purpose in the far country. As a matter of fact, the far country would have been better off had he never gotten there. And the only time he became of value is when he came home with this spirit. He said, Father, make me as one of thy hired servants. It's when you come to the place to where you realize it ain't about me. Yes, but it is about me working for the Father in ministering to those who are in need. It's about somebody else. And it's about Him. And He said to him, Man shall not live by bread alone, but of every word. Aren't you glad He had a word? For the temptations that the devil brought his way. And he said, I will not self-serve. Think about all that he did. But yet none of it, none of it for himself. The devil will have a hard time with you. If you're not selfish and you're not willing to serve yourself. And you only want to serve God and serve others. Listen, children, in that home that you're in, your mom and daddy will serve you, but it might come to the place where you think that's what it's all about. But you're not really going to be of any value, and you're in danger until you get to that place to say, you know, I think it's time for me to serve. It's time for me to take what's been given to me and use it for somebody else. So Satan comes... At his best, trying to get us to serve ourselves. And the problem with this world is, is that this world is self-serving. But notice the second thing he did is he moved beyond that, took him to church and put him up on the temple. And there he tempted him to self-destruct. In other words, he moved him from trying to get him to do something for himself. It's all about you, Jesus. Until he put him, on the, he put him in that place to where he could demand almost that God do everything for him. And Jesus realized that what that was. He said, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that because I, I'm not going to tempt the Lord my God. I am not here, he is saying, to entertain you. I'm not here to prove to you who I am and what I am. I'm here not only to do the work of my Father, I am here to do the will of my Father. And it is not my Father's will. I know, I know, Satan quoted unto him and said, If you will leap, his angels will have charge of you and lift you up lest you dash your, uh, your, uh, your foot against the stone. But he said, I won't be doing that because that's not in the plan. I will not serve myself and I will not try to force God. I will not. It's not going to be all about me on any level. I'm going to tell you something. 
when you're all about the Father's work and the Father's will, I don't care what tool the devil brings, he's going to have a hard time getting you. Because you're not going to submit to that. Oh, I want you to take care of yourself. And then I want you to force heaven to take care of you. You do it all or expect God to do it all. Jump from the pinnacle and Jesus would not do so. But the last thing that he did is he takes him to a high mountain. In verse number 8. No way for us to grasp all of this because we can't see all of this at one time, but he shows him all the kingdoms of this world. And the glory of them. And he said, I will give all this to you. Wow. Seems like it takes so little for the devil to get some people. But he knew he was going to have to go the whole gamut. He is the God of this world, the prince of power of the air. And he is saying to Jesus, to have all of this. And of course, there's always something in that deal that he's got to pull you in. And he said, all you'll have to do, if you want all of this, all you'll have to do is bow down and worship me. In other words, I'll give you that if you'll give me you. But oh, what a tyrant to have to serve. And to realize that what he offers you, if he gives it to you, he has the power to take it back. And here Jesus refuses him. And he said, I want you to know that we are to worship the Lord our God and him alone are we, are we going to worship. I will not bow the knee to you for any price. It's not about me being exalted. It's not about me being It's not about me being king. As a matter of fact, John 6, they wanted to make him king, but he knew what was in man, and he refused to be king. He walked away from all of that. But you see, what the devil does is that in anything he offers you, it'll be a cheap replica. Listen to why I'm saying this. It'll be a cheap replica of what God has already given you. Satan has nothing but something cheap. But then understand in the very promises of God, the Lord already has everything for your life. And he doesn't want you to sell out for what Satan made. It's cheap. Turn it upside down. It's got China written right on the bottom. It has no real value. Don't take less than what God's already given you. Young lady, don't go cheap on that man 
I mean, young man, don't go cheap on that young lady. Make sure this is what God gives you. You don't need what the devil will offer you. It is cheap. Jesus is the very Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's not going to take a shortcut to any of that. He's going to wait on it. He don't want what the devil has to offer. He's not going to worship and bow the knee. Don't go cheap. It's hard to tempt somebody that is totally consumed with the will of God, the work of God, and the Word of God. Aren't you glad you got a book that can protect you when the devil comes a-knocking? To be able to reach back into your heart and mind and remember what the Word of God said about what He's tempting you with to deliver you from the worst that he has to offer. I say to you, the situation is at its worst and Satan was at his best. Self-serve, self-destruct, self-exalt. Jesus never fell for any of that. But as I pondered this matter of the temptations of Christ... I not only saw the situation at its worst and Satan at his best, but what God wants you to know most about temptation. I pondered this, James 1 verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy (laughs) when you fall into divers' temptation. And when I read that, I said, now, James, is there something you know about that that I don't? Why would I rejoice or count it all joy when I fall into divers' temptation? Well, I think there's something in there that God wants us to know most. What he wants us to know most. Situation's at its worst, devil's at his best, but now listen. What God wants you to know most. Now, we sang a song here a while ago about the Trinity. You remember that? The words in that song, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. These three are one. (laughs) And what the devil doesn't want you to know is what I find is so prevalent in this text. I said to you that Satan will always minimize some things and then magnify some things. He did so in the Garden of Eden. He magnified the one tree that they were not supposed to take care of. That's, I mean, partake of. That's the one thing that he showed them, but he minimized all the other trees. He never even mentioned them. They were able to eat of all the trees 
freely. Except the one, he came in and drew their attention to the one and didn't even mention the others. If we're not careful, we may miss the most important thing about our hours of trials and testings and temptations. And I find it in this truth of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now we believe that the Father is God, do we not? We do believe that Jesus is God, manifested in the flesh, do we not? And we do believe that the Holy Ghost is God. Now don't try to ask me, explain that, as the old mountain fellow said. I can't, but I believe these three are one. But what the devil would have you to think is that Jesus is in there. I talked about that wilderness place, that lonely place, that abandoned place. The devil would have you to feel as though that you're at the loneliest, isolated place in all your life. He's got you all by yourself. But if I read my Bible, the Bible said it was the Spirit that led him into the wilderness. If the Spirit is God, would I be right to say that God was with him in his hour of temptation? Spirit led him in there. But then Jesus is also God. So that being so, would it be understandable to say that the God was not only in there with him, the Spirit... But God was also in there in him. He was God. And then the Bible said that the Lord sent the angels in to minister to him. Seems to be like that there's more God in that wilderness than anywhere else I've seen. I mean, God was in there with him. God was in there in him. And then God sent in after him. (laughs) Understand he ain't never going to leave you alone. It ain't going to be you and the devil alone. You're never going to be isolated. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And the thing you need to know most, the thing you need to know most is look around. You're going to be in your hour of trial and temptation and loneliness and seeming to be abandoned, God will be there, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and the angels too. Amen. Woo! Amen. Now, the devil don't want you to know that. He wants you to think that you're in there all by yourself contending with him. Now, let me give you this little illustration, personal. Since I'm doing the preaching. There were five brothers older than me being raised up. I was the youngest. And of course, they were my security. The nearest one to me was five years older than I, and then the oldest one from me was 16 years older than mine. So I felt pretty well protected when I was in their presence. Of course, as Williamses, they didn't have a lot of sense. They carried a bad name. And uh, most folks didn't want to mess with me because they didn't want to mess with them. And uh, you raised in a home without a mommy with any good, sweet, 
uh, influence or anything like that, that raises you pretty mean, and I had some mean ones. But I remember one day, I, I was uh, probably eight years old, ten years old. I used to go across them country roads in West Virginia and hunt what we call pop bottles. I don't know what y'all call them. And I could get eight pop bottles and add a penny to it, and that'd make a quarter. You say, well, what's so big about a quarter? Well, in that day, now listen to me, in that day, this was before Biden inflation a long time. I could take 25 cents to that country store up there. It's sacred ground. Oh, it brings tears every time I say it. I could buy me a moon pie. A full bag of chips. You know, when they used to put a lot of chips in the bag. And an RC Cola. 25 cents. Woo! I checked that out. About six years ago, and it was about six dollars then. Who knows? You have to rob a bank now to get that. <laughs> but I went outside, and there was a ledge there on that big window, bay window into the store. And you could set your drink down and lay your chips over there, and I always went for the moon pie first. I was opening up my moon pie, fixing to take a bite, and here come this boy up the road, same age as my brother Reed, five years older than me. And have you ever looked somebody in the eye and it looked like they wanted to severely beat you about the head and shoulders? <laughs> I couldn't understand why other than at times when my brothers were around and he was there, I'd usually do some big talking. And he probably got offended a time or two. Might even took a swing or two at him. I knew he wasn't going to swing back. Not when my brother's there. But it was just me and him. And he was up there looking. He just had one of those looks. I said, you know, he's just going to turn loose on me at any time. It was disturbing my meal. I couldn't get my moon pie down. I was feeling uneasy. And then finally, finally, he said something that lightened everything up. He looked at me and he said, Dana, where's your brother at? I figured in that moment that there was no need for me fighting him. He could whip me, beat me severely. But I could tell by the tone of his voice he was scared of my big brother. You say, what'd you do? I lied. <laughs> I said he's down at the house. He said he'd be up here in a minute. I had no idea where he was. You say, preacher, you still lie? I say, well, not as bad as I used to. <laughs> and here he was. And what I realized was there's no need for me con uh, contending with him and fighting with him when I knew that he was afraid of Reed. I just used that against him. And when I got saved now, listen to me. When I got saved, Man, I'm going to tell you, the devil just whipped me going and coming because I thought I had to fight him. Yeah. But then I got to reading in the Word of God in the New Testament that any time that he was around where the demons were, they just feared and trembled. Uh -huh. They begged him not to leave or not to come, and they begged him to leave. Yeah. And I come to the conclusion that the devil was scared of Jesus. And I said to myself, why in the world should I fight the devil, contend with the devil? I'm no match for the devil. He whipped me anywhere. And he's scared of my big brothers. Amen. 
So instead of me fighting with him, I'll just leave it up to the Lord. He whipped him right there in that wilderness. He took him in the garden. He took him at the cross. He took him at the, at the tomb. And thank God one of these days, he's going to sling him off into the lake of fire. He's got it all covered. Can I say to you, you're no match for the devil wherever he shows up. You're too weak, but honey, you got a big brother that can take care of him. Boy, the next time you feel him coming, you can just about know it. Find you a place real quick and draw off your heavenly resources and say, Lord, the devil's at work and I want you to take care of this. And the Bible said, and he leaveth him. And he sent the angels in to minister unto him. What the Lord wants you to know most is he ain't going to leave you in the hands of the devil. He's more than enough to take care of the trials and the temptations, whatever they may be. Someone asked the bright preacher... If he had the victory against the devil, since he was a Christian, he said, I not only have the victory, I got the victor. Aren't you glad that you do? And let me say this. Watch out for where the devil takes you. It may be you're thinking he's taking you up. And he did Christ. Watch out for what the devil shows you. The kingdoms of this old world. Watch out for what the devil offers you. All of the world. And watch out for what the devil wants from you. He wants this heart. And he wants this worship. Yes, sir. Just make sure that you're always sold out to the will of God, the work of God, and the Word of God. And that'll be enough. Let's stand. Father, I thank You that You had this penned in Your Word as to the hour of temptation for Christ. That in it, we might look and see what you want us to know. And I thank you for being our deliverance, our power, and our hours of trial. May we surrender constantly to your word, your will, and your work. May we not serve ourselves. We not desire to entertain this world by doing something foolish. Help us to only bow the knee to heaven. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask my wife if she will to come and play on the piano and sing. Could be tonight. For wherever you're at, but you need to feel his touch. His closeness. 
And his promise that he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you in your hour of temptation. And oh, they come, they come. But I'm glad he's here. Thank God.